Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tide. It's Monday, October 2nd. My name's Taylor Payne and I'm joined by Messrs. Colkin and Whitehead. How the devil are you, George Colkin? Have you had a good weekend? Yes, I have had a good weekend, thank you. Yeah, nice to be good. back at St. James's again. And then I had a had a nice pint at the free trade in the in the last of summer on Sunday afternoon. I saw your picture, it was lovely. Yeah, beautiful. What a place, what a pub. So yeah, seen the best of Newcastle. Brilliant stuff. And Jacob Whitehead, how are you? You alright? I am excellent. Would like to thank everyone for their kind messages after I made George the cup of tea that set social media on fire. Oh Saturday. God, yeah. Now, you've, now that's reminded me. No, I've had a terrible weekend. Now that I remember go back to that cup of tea, I've had to drink myself to oblivion to forget that. Was that tea, was it? I thought it was just off milk. It, it was, I, I could not bring myself to taste that it was repulsive it was an affront as you might have liked it it was an it was an affront to these youngins george they don't know that tea needs to be strong enough so that you can stand a spoon up in it before you put the milk in then a cup of tea needs to be the color of david dickinson (laughs) absolutely i don't know who david dickinson is but (laughs) mahogany my defense is that i didn't actually do the brew it was out one of those big vats and it was so weak when it came out that i added a teaspoon of milk. You served it to me. Well, I offered you a nice herbal tea like I was going to have, and you said, absolutely no, you offered not. Me, you offered so me decent. lemon and ginger tea. That's not herbal. Well, is that or decaf? Well, so. <laughs> yeah. George, I would suggest that your pint in the free trade was probably milkier than your tea. Well, it was actually quite a milky pint. Yeah, it was a bit of a cloudy, <laughs> cloudy pint. I'm not sure about the wisdom of that. But um, but no, that was, that was, yeah, that made up for it. How about you? Oh, I'm marvellous, mate. Absolutely wonderful. Went to the uh, went to the game on Saturday. Had a lovely old time. I want to crack on, though, because we've got lots to get through. We do. What's the sexiest two-word phrase in football, Jacob? I've got two nominations for this. The first one is double pivot. No, sexiest. Who do you, sexiest, who do you think you are, Chris Wolf? That was going to be my answer for him. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just trying to spirit, you know, channel his spirit in, in his absence. For, for Chris, it was either double pivot or double sausage. L- large hot dog. <laughs> large hot dog. <laughs> um, and my other nomination 
hopefully bridging the gaps between Everton and Newcastle is big dunk. Oh, nice. Yeah. M- less, more menacing than sexy that though, isn't it? Yeah. Depends what gets you, Taylor. <laughs> well, it's definitely not Duncan Ferguson. Not that, it's definitely not Duncan Ferguson. No, that's a, that's a really, really peculiar and also quite troubling choice uh, from Jacob. I mean, it has to just be Callum Wilson, doesn't it? If we're talking about individual, if we're talking about players, the sexiest two-word phrase in football, Callum Wilson. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you've gone the same direction. I was going to go with Fabian Cher, but fair enough. I'll, I, you I, know, either. I mean, it's a toss-up, isn't it? Yeah. Let's be honest. Either, either, yeah. Or if you're a Tottenham Hotspur fan this weekend, I would dare say it's possibly check complete. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> well, it's actually, and the right answer to this is it's actually routine oh. win, a phrase that wasn't required in these parts for a long, long time, uh, but definitely applies to this game. Burnley may be the most capable of the Premier League's new boys, but they've had a tough start of their campaign and they couldn't cope with Eddie Howe's clean sheet mags on Saturday. Jake, it was a routine win for sure, wasn't it? But the game actually started with a very good chance for Burnley, didn't it? Yes, it did. It was dead weird, actually, having a three o'clock kickoff for the first time all year and then just sort of utter normalcy in the performance. But yeah, really good chance for Burnley to start. And it was slightly weird because the Sheffield United game also began with Sheffield United starting the better before Newcastle have roared back in both. But on this occasion, it was Kuliosho turning Dan Byrne early and cutting it back. And it was a really impressive save from Pope to keep it level. It was. Because we're sort of relishing now how routine it was. It would have been completely different if Burnley went ahead uh, after 10 minutes, sort of under under company. They're sort of very solid defensively. They are good at sitting back deep, as well as this new expansive style of football, which he's starting to implement. So a bullet dodged for Newcastle early on. Yeah, big chance that, George, wasn't it? And a great save from Port, but the, the game could have been completely different from there on out. Yeah, you never know. You never know. By the end, you just sort of think, well, that is the that's that is the most routine win performance that you could have man- uh, uh, imagined. I would have still backed Newcastle to have to have found a way through against that opposition because I didn't think they were I didn't think they were very good. But um they were very solid, Newcastle were, and um good to start thinking about Newcastle again in those terms because even if you go back to Brentford it felt it felt pretty nervy in terms of needing to get that win, needing to turn around the start of the season. But we're now back in that position where uh sort of going to St James's expecting them to be okay and they were indeed okay absolutely let's talk about Miguel Almiron's left foot Jacob why not a moment of magic wasn't it Eddie Howe said reminiscent of some of his goals last season which is absolutely right Uh, let's just say thank god Chris Woff's not here to posit another one of his ridiculous theories about what he was actually trying to do probably thought was a cross yeah I mean maybe when he did that little shoulder dip just to send the defender he sort of actually thought that he was trying to sort of go over easily for a foul or something. I, d- I don't know what he'd have thought, but it was nice. It has such dip on it, the shot. It's kind of his one where it looked as if it was going to go clear of Trafford's bar and sort of ended up, like it wasn't top corner because <laughs> it dipped so much. It was quite weird. I was right behind it where I was sat as well. And oh, the view I got of it was beautiful. It just sort of faded ever so slightly. It was great. Yeah, I mean, it was an absolutely fantastic finish. have to pay tribute though to Kieran Trippier in the build-up because obviously it needed I mean it was a sensational finish kind of from nowhere but Trippier winning the ball from Aaron Ramsey um, just a brilliant piece of work from him yeah, and then set set Elmer on free but it's as with much about the Newcastle team it's that sort of graft that is the architect of the best things they the best things they do and they repeatedly force Burnley into making mistakes which is which is what they do when they're at their best I really enjoyed that Trippier managed to win the ball, make that tackle while appealing for a handball at the same time. He was sort of contorting <laughs> himself with this double 
maybe we should try more of that. Maybe playing with one arm in the air is sort of how he's really at his best, <laughs> apart from in the penalty zone, penalty area. Here comes a Jacob Whitehead theory: footballers should all play with one arm in the air. I mean, I think that's <laughs> I think that's what the handball rule is designed to rule out. However, Alan Shearer would like to go for it after after yeah, scoring, just yeah, so do it permanently. Already have the hand in the end, then score. They might as well just already exactly. have it up there. Yeah, fair play. Uh, after that goal, though, there wasn't much doubt of the result. Really, was there? Uh, more case of how many chances we could convert. And Elliot Anderson again, George, desperately unlucky in front of goal. Bless the lad, he hasn't got his goal yet, has he? In a Newcastle shirt, but it was it was a fabulous save by the goalkeeper. It's a shame he didn't put it in. It was. It was a great diving header. And again, I would pay tribute to Anderson. I thought he had a fine match, but. It was a beautiful ball in from Sean Longstaff and I definitely want to pay tribute to to Sean. You know, we've seen the results since he's come back into the team. He was the one that missed out at the start of the season when Sandro Tonali played. Obviously, Sean had had that bit of a niggling injury over the summer and wasn't fully fit. But he is just so important to the way Newcastle play. He has that energy. He has the drive. He does the running for that midfield. Bruno immediately looks more comfortable, looks better. It gives him license to do what he can do. And again, I thought Bruno was very good as well at the weekend. He was. Sean is such an underrated player. But he is just vital to the way Newcastle tick. And that was a beautiful cross for Anderson. And yeah, he's he's having absolutely no luck in front of the goal. Poor lad. But it will come, won't it? He's doing the right things. I mean, that yeah. finish, he puts it back across the goalkeeper. It's heading back to the corner. And it's just a really good instinctive stop yeah. with the legs. I mean, if you keep doing those stuff, the goals will come. Yeah, I, I, I thought he was great, actually. I thought the entire midfield played really well against uh, against Burnley, but I thought Elliot Anderson covered some ground along with Sean Longstaff, allowing Bruno to just sit in there and do the do the things that he does well. And it's nice to see him as well, George, isn't it? Bruno playing with a bit of swagger, playing with a bit of confidence again, a couple of little flicks, uh, and he was you know doing the same things as what he was doing against Sheffield United, a couple of nutmegs here and there. It's just lovely to see, isn't it? You, that's the Bruno we want on the pitch. Yeah, he looks like he's had a sort of load lifted off his shoulder. Obviously, we know he was playing he's been playing with an injury for a long time certainly was last season but no this is the Bruno we know and love obviously the the contract thing has been kind of hanging about that's all sorted it's just they're just waiting for the announcement now I mean that's good whether that's been you know affecting him at all mentally or not I don't know but it's a it's a big deal that kind of thing when you've got things about your working life hanging over you you know I think we've all been there you know you can't help but sort of think about it but um yeah absolutely integral I mean uh, when Bruno plays well Newcastle play well it's as simple as that there's one ball to Isaac where he was almost facing the east end directly oh, and just yeah, clips it around the corner down the channel and Isaac really should have, uh, I think it would have been doubling the lead at that point, is where he sort of contorts his body and just rolls it wide. His first touch let him down a little bit there, didn't it? He, he, his yeah. first touch just took a bit too close to the goalkeeper and he couldn't finish it off. But it's the way that Guimaraes doesn't need to be necessarily facing the play to kind of really do his stuff. He's kind of able to play with his peripheral vision so much when he's on form. And it's such a confidence thing to be able to do um, to be able to see those sorts of passes almost on instinct rather than kind of fully conceptualising them. I actually watched the match cam, the, the, the match cam that the club put out on YouTube. I watched it last night and there was a moment in the second half when Bruno breaks forward with the ball and it's the one when he plays like a lovely through ball through at Tenali. But he's running forwards and you would think he's looking ahead. But as he's running with the ball, his head is just swivelling back and forwards looking for who's available, where the pass is. And yeah, just it was like watching an owl. His, his head was just like it was almost a three sixty, just spinning round and round. 
And you just look and you think, my God, he's just switched on. He knows where every single player is and where they need to be. And then the ball to Tarly was absolutely perfect Brown, as well. Brown Owl, yeah. Brown Owl, Grimoris. Brown Owl. Br- good, yeah. Um, Not your best, no, but good. No, I'll work on that. <laughs> yeah, come back in about in about 20 minutes. We'll have another 20 years, I'll come back with that. My dot that one <laughs> nailed. See if you can coin it as a sexist two-word phrase of football. Yeah. Right? Brown Owl, Grimoris. <laughs> it wasn't great, come on. No. Let's forget that. Uh, Anthony Gordon, Jacob, we'll come to you as our resident Anthony Gordon expert. He wins another penalty, doesn't he? He's so good at that, getting his body across people and just inviting them to make fouls. Exactly. What, what Gordon is really good at, and it doesn't initially always seem as a skill, but he's really good at capitalising on other people's mistakes as well. Yeah. And it's not just that there, you can't just necessarily profit that down to luck. It's the fact that he's putting an element of pressure on them and then he's positioning himself well enough to actually get to the ball so it happened against Liverpool when he kind of capitalised on the Trent Alexander-Arnold mistake and again here when Alderkill it's it's a poor header back but Gordon is so on his toes ready to do it and it's the fact that he's always offering himself to make those runs do those sprints he's obviously not always been fit enough to play 90 minutes but some of that is because he almost just tries so many things he goes down so many blind alleys in hopes of good things happening and eventually sometimes they do and this is a perfect example of it. And yeah, here again, he just manages to get his foot in front of it. Live, when I first saw it, I wasn't actually sure that it was a penalty. Watched yeah. it back and you do see that, yes, he does tackle him, he goes through it. It is it is a penalty. But it just shows how good he is at almost just making that late movement just to draw the foul. Just before the tackle comes and he just leans, ever so slightly, doesn't he, allowing the defender to kind of just go through him. But yeah, brilliant bit of play. Shearer always talks about that, making those runs. You know, you make, you make 100 runs in the course of a match and only one, you know, will only one work out for you in terms of getting the ball or getting that little bit of luck but you've got to do it to to be there and um no totally agree with Jacob about that and he is just absolutely on fire isn't he I mean talk there about other players playing well but he is really driving the team at the minute he's just he just looks absolutely electric it's a big blow to lose Harvey Barnes and obviously there are other injuries around the squad at the moment but you you just have to keep everything crossed that he stays okay because he's he's just so important to the to the, not just the tempo of the team but the way they're the way they're getting results he's yeah he's he's absolutely brilliant i think it's just so important to stress for in the context of his career he's never had this sort of run of games in a team doing well in the same position yeah and just to see what he can do when i think he started every game but one and in that game he came on for harvey barnes after 10 15 minutes the fact that this trust has been put in him and he's actually got this run of games which he's needed for two or three seasons with these clear tactical instructions which he spent time getting grips to, this is the payoff of that. That's why you make that investment and have to give players time that run in the side. It's the perfect example. Totally, totally. I, I agree with that, except I would say I think that slightly doesn't do him enough justice because I think he's really dragged Newcastle into form. I mean, I think it's really been his performances that have been the consistent thing about this season I mean he's been the player that's uh, that's been playing well all the way through including that including that sort of difficult start I think sort of others have risen have risen to the, to his level I mean so um, yeah but he has he's just been absolutely sensational he has uh, and another goal for Alexander Isak as well the coolest man north of Antarctica with that penalty Jacob wasn't he he basically had a bit of uh, help from Bruno, who took the ball and, and and got rid of a few players and then handed it off and he's actually slotted home. A nice, easy finish. Another animal parallel for Bruno here. 
like as well as being an owl, he was nodding the ball on his head like a sea lion in front of Gallagher while sort of waiting for it. <laughs> kind of so nonchalant. And then, yeah, Isaac just made it look so simple. Trafford, obviously good at saving penalties. In the summer, the Euros under 21's final, he saved one in the last minute to win and to uh, win it for England. But so calm here, just put it on the other end. And I saw a stat at the weekend that Newcastle have the second longest run in the Premier League of scoring penalties consecutively. No. So I think Thanks, they have 13 and Wolves have something like 18. So Newcastle, good at penalties. Thanks for absolutely ruining Thanks for that. that stat. Yeah, great. So Newcastle get yeah. awarded penalties against PSG and miss them all. Brilliant. Thanks, Jacob. Fucking brilliant. Uh, Premier League. So anything which happens against PSG. I don't care. You've, just ruined, you've just ruined everything. But on, on the subject of people ruining things, Taylor... <laughs> I have to. I have to bring this up. I do have to bring this up, and I do. Uh, Come on, then. I'm, I'm. You know, I'm slightly sort of a, apologetic. But you posting. Oh, I was in a good position to see Isak's yeah. uh, goal celebration at the weekend. Yeah. With a bit of film that you took. I mean, you have become a phone. You're now a phone wanker. You're a football phone wanker. Well, you're one of those people who, instead of watching football, watch football through a phone, and that makes you the worst of the worst, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah, well, it would have been it would have been the case if I had had my phone in my hand, but uh, it was actually my my missus, my girlfriend, had her phone out, and she was videoing the penalty. I was stood there with me hands over me face, like I normally do when Newcastle get a penalty, uh, and I did have a good view because I was stood next to her. So that's that's all that is, George. So don't worry about it. I'm still I'm still as good a fan as anybody who doesn't use their phone. Uh. <laughs> This is a statement read on behalf of George Culkin of The Athletic. He would like to unreservedly apologise to Taylor's partner for any offence that may have been caused over the previous two minutes. They'll be taking no further questions at this time. (laughs) Thanks for that. Lovely stuff. Uh, Jacob, Newcastle's fullbacks, uh, after seeing their theoretical long-term successes in the Carabao Cup, the men in possession showed exactly what they're made of, didn't they? Dan Byrne and Kieran Trippier again, pretty good on the ball, very good going forward. Uh, they've been great the last couple of weeks. Exactly. This was my match piece from the weekend, and I think the point I was making is that when you spend nearly £70 million on two young players, both hugely talented, the future tends to become the present pretty quickly when we're in that position. And you saw how well Livermento played on Wednesday night. And yeah, yeah. Yet you've got Trippier playing at this level. Um, so both Trippier and Byrne have career-high passing statistics. Trippier has four assists in the last two games. He had 28 more touches than any other player on the pitch against Burnley. For a right-back to have those sorts of numbers is absolutely crazy. Sometimes it's centre-backs, sometimes it's number six, sometimes it's even a goalkeeper. A right-back to be that central to everything. But kind of that said, it's pretty difficult to probably be Dan Byrne on the other side and always sort of have these comparisons. And really lucky, actually, George had a chat with Dan after the game and spoke about his role because his passing numbers are higher than they've ever been before, which is saying some things, things he's played left-sided centre-back in a Brighton system. He's played left-back in this Howell team for, for quite a while. And to hear in terms of completion percentage, the numbers he's trying, the progressive distance of that passing, all better. And we had a chat about that. And he's talking about how his role in build-up play is different to Trippier. He often might have to stay back and lock out as they move up down the right-hand side. But he was also talking about his partnership with Gordon because they've both been elevating each other. And one really interesting thing where he was talking about a run which they like to... uh, link up on which they've called the Arsenal one after a movement which Bukayo Saka makes where he picks up the ball wide and cuts inside and they've really linked up doing uh, 
linked up with that a lot and it's really sort of helped Gordon get to that cutting in line which he really likes for that sort of goal he scored against uh, Sheffield United so a really good example it was a long Boston run from Dan Byrne on that goal wasn't yeah. it? He, he covered so much ground so yeah I mean just the fact that they've had not been questioned but they've had this pressure come in from behind them and the fact that they've responded so well and while the midfield was gelling it was actually those two have been responsible for ball progression for keeping Newcastle's attacking shape Really impressive from both of them. Something I asked Dan about was his ability to adapt during matches as well, which I think is something very important. I mean, we saw in the first few minutes, Collio show at Burnley down the right, kind of beat him once and he slipped a second time. Now he said, he said very openly, I don't think I had a very good first half. And in the past, you know, that would have affected him. In the past, that would have meant him having a bad game. What he's really good at is adapting to the winger that's in front of him or the circumstances. Cause, you know, I knew Jacob was doing, was doing this piece. And by the end of the game, you're actually saying, okay, we're not talking about Kodiosho anymore, are we? We're talking about a clean sheet for Newcastle. And suddenly that threat has been negated. And I think he is very, very good at A, bouncing back and B, working out what's happening in a match and dealing with it. The whole team are, you know, the whole team are very good at adapting and Byrne is a leader in the team. He's a talker and he can see, you know, he can, he was talking a lot to Gordon, telling him where to go, where to be. And they then, they did then close off that side. It's very, very, you know, it's very impressive. If you're comparing Dan to Kieran Trippier, it's very unfair because you're talking about, you know, an absolutely world-class attacking fullback and Dan isn't that. I mean, you know, naturally he's a centre-half. But as Jacob says, it's if you do have one fullback who's bombing on, sometimes you have to, you know, the other fullback has to lock lock off that other that bit of the pitch so that Newcastle are not exposed. And it's also a different sort of set of circumstances when he's got Gordon kind of rampaging in front of him. The way that he's able to to sort of be that solid wall behind him. Yeah, I I love both fullbacks. And again, I think we have to. Pay tribute to the back four, back five. That's what now five clean sheets in a row. Whoever's played Jamal Lascelles, that was his first Premier League appearances for a long time. Absolutely well done to him. And then another feature of the match, I thought the weekend was Fabian shares those those beautiful diagonal passes when he's in that form. It's beautiful to watch the way he's able to pick out Almiron on the on the side or pick out Trippier on the wing. It's so important that that range of passing that that he's got. Botman is going to be a big is a big loss to the team, but they've they've adapted really well and they have that kind of sense of solidity again back to the back line, which is which is really great to see. Absolutely, Newcastle up to eighth in the Premier League and just six points off the top spot. And really, the only black mark that we can say is, as you mentioned, George's uh, Sven Botman's absence, uh, and also Joel Linton, of course, bless him, came on, was on the pitch for a few minutes and then had to go off. Now facing a bit of a spell on the sidelines, and the the immediate outlook for those lads isn't great, is it? No, it's not. How, without giving any sort of confirmation on Joel Linton, sort of, you could tell from his body language that it didn't look great. Yeah. Botman's he's ruled out until after the international break, although he does say there's a chance that Wilson will be back from his own hamstring injury, potentially before. So that's a piece of good news. And after the international break, we're also hopefully getting back Joe Willock, who so often goes under the radar, kind of forget how central he was last year. So prognosis for the next week, not great. Lots of losses in midfield, but after the international break, Newcastle could well be back stronger than they are even right now. 
Right then, let's move on. Come on, you Maggies. Famously nestled in the West Midlands near Sutton Coalfield, Boldmere St Michael's hosted Newcastle United women's team in the FAWNL second round and they gave us a real fright. It took an injury time winner from substitute Bridget Galloway to see us through and next up a trip to Liverpool Feds, the team who pipped us to the title two seasons ago. It was a bit of a feisty affair this one, Jacob, wasn't it? It all kicked off at the end. You really got your money's worth here. <laughs> New- Newcastle, they've been sweeping all ahead of them in their league. And yet this was a team from the tier below and they really did make quite hard work of it. It was a really physical, feisty game. There's one point, I think three Boldmere players were all sort of down with Newcastle players bombing around them. Uh, they hit the post early, couldn't get ahead and Boldmere got ahead for a really scrappy goal and it looked like a bit of a cup set for a bit before Cara Milne Redhead hit an absolute screamer from a corner. If you haven't seen it, I'd implore you to get on watch it it gets cut back to her and she absolutely wallops it in and then last minute uh Bridget Galloway seventh goal from five games another one really kind of scrappy but in clever little flicked header um late red card from Boldmere led to an amazing display of finger pointing from the Boldmere bench which again is really worth watching um Liverpool feds at the weekend to yeah as you said Taylor pipped Newcastle a couple of seasons ago. They're actually on the same points in the league this year, but Newcastle have played two fewer games as a result of postponements. They're still the only unbeaten team in the division. So, yeah, exciting times ahead for Becky Langley's team. Absolutely. A bit of everything, George, wasn't it? Bridget Galloway with another goal, late winner, a dog in the crowd. Oh, my God, did this match had everything. People in the sin bin, yeah. substitutes being sent off. Yeah, it's it's been such a strange season with the, with the postponements that Jacob talked about, only playing those three league games. They're not playing at home again, I don't think, until until the middle of the month. I'll go and see them then. I'm really looking forward to it. It just feels like it's been it's been a kind of weird season. And I think with that disruption, obviously they've done really, really well in order to keep churning those results out. So yeah, brilliant. Well done. It's been a really solid start to the season for them in spite of all that disruption. So yeah, let's hope they can carry that on. Big game at the weekend. Definitely. Right then, let's move on, chaps. Uh, why don't you subscribe to The Athletic via theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and pay just £1 or $1 a month for the first 12 months, depending on where you are located. Uh, we'll be back in just a tick to talk about that Paris Saint-Germain game with Pete Rutzler. See you in a moment. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
So Champions League football returns to St James's Park for the first time since March 2003. Barcelona ran out 2-0 winners on that occasion and Paris Saint-Germain were well on their way to 11th place in Ligue 1. Uh, it's a bit different now though, isn't it? PSG is such a big deal that the Athletic have dedicated a report to them and he joins us now. Uh, please welcome the artist formerly known as Rutzler the Relegator. It's Pete Rutzler. How are you doing, Pete? That'd be quite something if it still applied in Ligue 1 as well. Be... Absolutely. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Good stuff. Well, what sort of shape are PSG in at the minute? Domestic results are a bit of a mixed bag, aren't they? Yeah, it's actually been their worst start since the Qatari takeover more than a decade ago uh, in, in Liga. So uh, in terms of results, it's not been great, but there's been a lot of change in Paris over the summer. It's been billed as a new era, and uh, it certainly looks like that in terms of, of personnel. You know, Neymar's gone, Lionel Messi's gone, and in have come a swathe of new players, more than 300 million euros committed to spending over the summer. And Luis Enrique has been brought in to, to oversee this this mix of players and ta- younger talent um, as they try to embark on a, a revamp, a reboot, which ultimately probably has the same goal, which is to try and win that Champions League. So um, it's, it's in the league, it's it's been those early teething problems. Um, but we've seen signs of a team that are now starting to click it in moments. You can see the direction of travel that they're going in. They actually have a quite clear playing identity now um you can see that the first signs of that coming to the fore and and that that feels a little that feels new um the atmosphere is pretty together on and off the pitch which is also new certainly compared to a few months ago where they were booing title winners so uh it's it's a new direction and and it's going to be very interesting to see how they they fare in the champions league and, and we saw them defeat dortmund in the first game and they looked very very impressive so uh a new look new feel but uh still with familiar threats as well. That front three are, are terrifying, I have to be honest. Uh, Kylian Mbappe, Colomuani and Dembele. It's a potent attacking trio, isn't it? Are there, are there problems in the team elsewhere? To be honest, it's 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 the way Luis Enrique has the, the team playing. You know, He's very much a, a possession-based style of play. Uh, we've seen them really dominate the ball <laughs> for, for extensive periods. And then it's about trying to be incisive in the final third. So there is an element of it, of them struggling in... Uh, in front of goal, I think there's a there's also this sense of them still adapting to each other. That those early periods of acclimatizing to one another. But as you say, that the players that they have at their disposal in attack are frightening. You know, it's France's front three. That's a World Cup winning, uh, World Cup final. Sorry, uh, reaching potential of a front three. So um, you know, the, the the quality is there. I think what we've seen, and, and, and as we saw at the weekend against Clermont, is that when they face a team that's sitting in a low block, they they can struggle. Um, it's about trying to find ways where they can still score goals and, and still get results and, and, and not have this set formula where they, where they struggle. You know, Luis Enrique's Spain teams at their best were incredible, um, the way they could decide through opponents. Um, but then towards the end, as we saw in, in, in the World Cup, they could become unstuck when a team sits very deep. So um, it's, in, it's in that early stages. I don't think there's any sort of worry at the moment because there's so much change. But um, I think... Once it starts to come together, um, and we did, we have seen that in a couple of performances. I mentioned Dortmund, but then also against Marseille, where they scored an early goal, uh, and then afterwards it looked frightening. It's not just the front three that, that can score. You've got Akraf Hakimi, who's just been liberated at right back, uh, has a completely free role now in, in this sort of advanced <laughs> position. And so, yeah, there, there's more than more than just the front three to, to look out for. What's kind of the mood in in Paris about this game? I guess since PSG's takeover, Newcastle have not been a particularly good side. It's only in the last year or two, obviously, that they've started to rapidly improve. This is a bit 
almost a bit of a novelty opponent for PSG. Kind of what's the attitude towards Newcastle? I think there's there's quite there's a bit of excitement towards it. Um, you know, Newcastle I think they've been watched from afar in terms of how the takeover and the project has changed so dramatically for the club. Um I think in terms of the the the, the game itself, I think there's an awareness that this is a massive game for, for Newcastle returning to the Champions League, what that will bring uh, on the field. And also recognition that you know Newcastle qualified for the Champions League last year. They're not in the Premier League. It's not going to be an easy game. Um, the group itself broadly is seen as a difficult group, particularly for a, a team that's in transition. So uh, it's certainly not taken lightly. I mean, the, the, the conversations after Clermont were, you know, are, are the players, have, they, have we got one eye on Newcastle next week? You know, he rotated his midfield, so Manuel Gatti and and, and uh, I think uh, and Warren Zaire Emery, the young seventeen-year-old who's been absolutely uh, fantastic. Um, both of them were rested, so the question is, you know, you're resting for Newcastle. So I, I don't think there's a sense of um, you know taking it lightly. I think there's very much a, an anticipation for for playing. And the Champions League is you know it's massive in Paris, and I know they've had their league struggles in the early part of the season, but. For so long, it's, it's the Champions League that matters and so much revolves around it. So you've gone from Rutsch the relegator to Pete the Parisian. What a what a gig that must be. What's, what's it like covering covering PSG? It must be a big change in, in your life. And also, you know, what, what's it just like hanging around a, a, a club like that? Yeah, it's, uh, I went out there for the end of, of last season. And I think even within that, the, the period of, I've just, I've been covering um, PSG has been some massive changes. Um, the end of last season was, was absolutely crazy. So for those that weren't aware, you had Lionel Messi being sus- suspended over an unauthorized trip to Saudi Arabia. You had the manager being caught up in a, in a, in a racism s- uh, scandal with his former club Nice. You had Kylian Mbappe complaining about a, a marketing campaign that the club had done internally. And it just felt like week after week there was something else. And this was a team, you know, that went on to win the league. <laughs> um, there were fan protests outside Neymar's house and Neymar had been injured for months. It was a very disconnected feel. And, and over the summer, there has been a, a great deal of change as I was talking about. You know, they've opened a, a fantastic new training ground, um, cost them 300 million euros. It's taken a long time to, to come to fruition, but it compared to the Camp de Loge uh, where they were before, this is, this is night and day. So it actually feels more like a super club now. So... I mean, even in that time, there's been a lot of change. It's a different scale to 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 Fulham, and obviously, I'm still keeping my eye on Fulham and, and still doing that. I've got Fulham Chelsea later, so it's it's quite an interesting contrast to doing the two. So, um, but yeah, I, I mean, in terms, I think it really just for for me anyway, it's been interesting looking at that change at PSG and what they're trying to do. You know, there's been a, they always talk about new era, and, and and it's it's quite an interesting thing because you can say we're going to start again, we're going to reset, and it's quite a good way of buying maybe ownership time, but by buying people time, you know, for when you don't quite achieve the goals you wanted to. But there has been that big change. I mean, Messi's gone, Neymar's gone, yeah. so many players, it's, it's, it's massive. Just listening to all that, I mean, it's it's kind of weird. I mean, obviously, there are the kind of huge parallels between the two clubs in terms of in terms of ownership, but that is such a different feel to the club that Newcastle is. Obviously, they want to be the kind of team and club that's challenging for the league title, that's challenging for the Champions League. They've signposted all that themselves. So that's sort of the club they want to be with a fantastic training ground, but the key to Newcastle's success has been that sense of unity and everybody being on the same page, whether it's on the pitch, to the boardroom, to the to the stands. It's, um, I mean, just hearing you sort of read all that out kind of brings brings it back home. Just just how separate those clubs are in terms of their own experience at the 
at the minute. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's sort of taken PSG a decade to come back to the unity point. I mean, maybe that's a bit harsh. I think the last the last six years in particular, since the Neymar transfer, you know, it's become much more of a individual players, less of a team identity of a, you know, it's, uh, a place where managers go in, talk about trying to reset, you know, some big managers as well, but Richard Pochettino, Thomas Tuchel, uh, in Emery, you know, play, managers have come in with ideas to want to really change the direction of the team and, and put their mark on it and end up caught up in, in the politics of it all. And I think they want to sort of move away from that. Now, whether that's possible with PSG, we'll, we'll have to see. But you're right. I mean, the, the direction these uh, project with that kind of backing can go is, is varied. I mean, I think that you contrast it with Manchester City, slightly longer time period than, than PSG, but got their training ground much earlier and have um, done pretty well. <laughs> um, so if, if, if you wanted to take lessons from PSG about what can go well and what can go wrong, because... On, on another side, you could go, well, the, the, the major signings that they have made have transformed them as a global brand. You've got stores across America. You've got a store in, in Oxford Street now. Like they're, they're, they're linked up with Jordan. Like these kind of things have been really transformational for a club that sure has had incredible amounts of money pumped into it, but that doesn't necessarily mean you've become a, a brand outside of football, you know, separate to all the noise and everything I've just listed. They're still really popular. You still have kids wearing PSG shirts these days. So a very interesting project I think to, to compare to and, and, and particularly as, as Newcastle move forward uh, Jacob here's a little question for you as well Newcastle we've played five games in 15 days we've come away with four wins stayed unbeaten and conceded zero goals and yet fans are still probably a mix of excited and nervous about this game aren't they I think that's fair to say yeah I don't know how you couldn't go into this without that sort of nervous energy that sense of anticipation because yes Newcastle have gone on got gone into this with this excellent form but this is they're playing an absolute buzzsaw of a team who do have the potential to embarrass teams. Like saw how well they played against Dortmund. This is what you know. Newcastle is still getting used to playing against this calibre of opponent twice a week, or pretty much every week. It's going to be a sixth game in nineteen days by the time it actually comes about. PSG are used to that. Newcastle aren't. Yes, we know this team have the potential within them to do produce these startling results, especially at home. And, and I'm sure we'll come on to the atmosphere of that. But if you don't go into this with anticipation, not just for the match itself, but what the match kind of means to the city itself, the kind of hope that symbolises the journey which the club's been on over the last, not just two years, but the last 20 years since the last Champions League game. This is, in a way, the completion of that cycle. Of course, you're going to go into it with some kind of feeling of nerves. George will be able to probably uh, describe that far better than me. It's anticipation. I don't feel nervous at all. No, I don't. I don't feel like that. I feel really excited. I think having been in the away end at Milan, I think what immediately hit me was a the atmosphere in the San Siro, and b how different the Champions League was. Funny watching the Champions League from a distance, seeing other English teams in it over the years, you kind of get jaded to it, and it's oh, it's always the same teams playing each each other. But actually being there and experiencing it was to feel how different those games were and the noise and the smells and the atmosphere. Yeah, I can't wait for Wednesday because I think it's Newcastle's most high-profile occasion in terms of home matches for 20 years. Obviously, there's been big, big games in the past, but those big games in Newcastle's recent history have, have been about avoiding relegation. It's been that sort of match. They've had some great results. And then, obviously, last season, we saw a taste having the, the League Cup semi-final at St. James's. That was absolutely massive. But in terms of the sort of stature of a game, 
and the occasion in that sense. This this blows everything else out of the water. And yeah, it's new. It's new for the team. It's new for fans. It's new for it's new for everybody. And you know, having PSG fans around the city over the next couple of days is going to be great. And um, it's 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 just such a such a big thing, and it's such a sort of thrill to have that. I mean, I I just think it's going to be unreal. I mean, there have been times in the past year, two years, when the the noise at St James's has been so loud you can't hear yourself think. I can't wait for yeah. for Pete to experience it this this week. I, yeah, I think it's going to be incredible. It's something that that uh, that I spoke to Sean Longstaff about. Uh, after the game, I wanted to talk a little bit about Milan. I did a bit of that, and I've written a piece piece about the whole the whole thing, which is uh, which is up on the Athletic now. But I asked him, "Is there a better atmosphere anywhere in Europe than St James's Park at the moment?" No, I, I don't think there is, especially when it's on a nighttime game under the lights. It's just sort of a, a special place, and um, yeah, like I said, I can't wait for Wednesday. It's probably going to be like the semi final last year, but on steroids, I would say. Um, <laughs> And like I said, I honestly can't wait for it. even walking around there. I was speaking about the goalie coach and just said this place is going to be absolutely bounced yeah. on Wednesday. And to be honest, it's funny because obviously if we go away and play in, a, play in an atmosphere, then it's, it's sometimes yeah, send your mind a little bit everywhere, and you, there's, there's so much going on, and it it's, it can be tough. And when teams come here, it's sort of I'd say it's like that times ten. So whatever whatever we feel when we go away, I'd imagine other teams are feeling a lot worse when they come here and the crowds into it. And, you sort of just feel smothered and yeah, like you see on Wednesday and the cup when we got off the city, the, the crowd responded and sort of it sort of works both ways if, if we feed them and, and then they keep create an atmosphere and we can then kick on again and um, yeah, I think when it's bouncing there's no better player. Peter, is it fair to say that there's there's a bit of pressure on PSG, isn't there? Some of their exits in Europe over the last few years as well. It's uh, caused a bit of uh, a bit of uproar. What's the feeling like there at the minute? Yeah, it always does. You know, the Champions League has been and continues to be everything for for Paris Saint-Germain. I think, I mean, even just thinking of last season and the positivity that there was before the World Cup, they came back after the World Cup, there were injuries ahead of their uh, last 16 tie against Bayern Munich and uh, suddenly they did go out and everything (laughs) falls apart, probably the most spectacular way yet. What's been interesting again is that you have this real push and desire to talk about the long-term younger players like so Kangin Lee who's 22, Manuel Legato who's 22, Gonzalo Ramos, similar age and, and they're trying to go well we're going, we're building for the long term now. You had Nassau Khalifi come out just uh, last month saying we're not obsessed with the Champions League you know this is longer term uh, which is feels a bit like a, an about turn but once the competition gets going yeah. once, <laughs> once things start to, to tick over um those conversations happen again and it will be, you know, the defining factor for Luis Enrique. That's inevitable. And just because it is, you know, they, they've been so dominant in Liga, you know, they've now won more titles than anyone else in France after last year. So for them, it's it's the place they want to be. It's the place they can they can really show off what they're, what they're trying to do. And I, there is this element of how much time are they going to get? What is everyone buying into this idea that there's a longer term perspective now? And at the moment, it, feel, it feels like there is. There's this kind of unity which is, hasn't really been seen for quite some time where you have the fans really supporting with the players. Um, the players are evidently younger. It's a younger group. You know, there's a, a coach coming in and you can see what he's trying to do, but it's going to take a bit of time. Um, you've got the president saying, you know, we're not, this is not about short-termism anymore. You know, <laughs> the stars have gone. Let's see how long that all holds together. And it's nights like 
Wednesday where you know things go very wrong, <laughs> then then fingers that, crossed. Well, yeah, exactly. And then <laughs> that's when perspectives can change. So um, it will be interesting. But that whether this dynamic changes is the really interesting element of this season. So one thing that Newcastle have had, even during the sort of difficult moments of the past decade, is they've tended to have a really, really good French player playing for them. And back back in the day, Newcastle United hosted a French day at St. James's Park because they had all those French players or French speakers at the time, uh, which was quite funny. We've got you know, far a far more exciting French day to look forward to on 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 Wednesday with PSG there. Something that you know, one of those players, and something that the, the two teams have in common now, of course, is Johan Kabay, uh, a brilliant, uh, gifted midfield player who played for Alan Pardew's team at the high watermark of the of the of the Ashley era, which wasn't saying very much, by the way. But um, but when they finished fifth and got into Europe, he was a big part of it. Left the club in quite difficult circumstances. Has a relationship with PSG, played for PSG, and is there now, Pete and. We're doing a piece that people can see on The Athletic on, on Wednesday in which you've spoken to him. Give us a little bit of insight into what... I mean, I, c- I can assure everybody that Johan won't know what's hit him when he sees the, the club on Wednesday and how different it is. But what, what's he up to at PSG at PSG now? Johan Kabai is now their assistant director of the academy, which is um, no small role considering the amount of talent that exists in and around Paris. You know, I think for the World Cup there were... I think 11 members of that squad who grew up within 15 miles of, of Paris. And I know Oliver Cave wrote a really excellent piece on, on that uh, relatively recently. Um, so his role is to sort of nurture the talent, bring that talent in, work with, with families, with agents, and, um, and cement a pathway, which is not the easiest pathway, in my opinion. You know, PSG with <laughs> the talent that they have in their first team. Uh, it's not easy to push these younger players and get them in front of eyeballs, but that they have been able to do, not just in terms of, you know, Pranav Kambembe, but I mentioned Warren Zaire Emery. I'm sure we'll see him on, on Wednesday, a 17-year-old who's gone straight into the first team and been almost ever present. Um, and I think for him, I think he's, his sort of long-term trajectory is to go down a, a more uh, management sort of, role rather than a coaching role so um sporting director type role is i think his, his direction of travel so um he obviously played for psg after newcastle has that connection there and was brought to the club by their former sporting director uh, leonardo um and i think it's, it's actually a quite an interesting moment for their academy anyway because of the new training ground you know they're all going to be on the same site for the very first time both the, the men's senior team the, the youth teams and also the, the women's team as well so it's should be a very interesting period and and, and for him it's quite a challenge. It's quite a challenge considering um, what, what what the requirements are to, to get into that, that first team. Lovely stuff. Right, then make sure you check out that piece from George and Pete about Johan Kabai. Pete, thanks very much for your time, mate. No worries. Thanks for having me. Cheers for coming on. Au revoir et à bientôt, Pete. <laughs> very good. Very good, George. <laughs> Merci. See you on Wednesday. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Well, there we go, chaps. Thank you very much to Pete Rutzler for his time. Lovely stuff. I'll tell you what, though, if there's one game that you want to get to early, get into your seat, it's going to be this one, isn't it, George? We've had a little tweet from uh, Dan Talks Sport, uh, and he says, if it's not too late, can you mention getting to the ground early on Wednesday? I know fans shouldn't have to do it, but hate the idea of our biggest home game in years being harmed by people stuck outside. If anyone can be there early, it will help those who can't get in. That's fair enough, isn't it? I mean, you've got to be in your seat for this one. I'm going to be absolutely buzzing for this game on Wednesday. Well, I'm there now. I mean, I'm I'm already in my seat. I'm really excited because I'm 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 in my season ticket seat for this one and uh really? yeah, really 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 excited. I mean, we've just had Pete on there. He's like dedicated, he's a brilliant journalist, he's fantastic and he's like sort of talking about the ins and outs of PSG and what they're doing. It's like, "Oh, I just want to shout PSG are coming to St James's Park and we're going to batter them." <laughs> <laughs> really can't wait to see how George is on Thursday morning after the 60-hour lead-up to kick-off. It's pure intensity and rage. Well, I, until I, I, I know it's like, it is It's such a <laughs> it, it is such a cliche, and it's like, it's such a kind of cliche to be asking players about the atmosphere and things like that. But then when I do think about those moments we've had since the takeover, whether it was the Spurs game, the first game post-takeover, yeah. some of those occasions where, honestly, moisture is just forced out of your body in... <laughs> Lots of orifices, whether it's your eyes and other bits, be- because of the noise. I mean, just because of the noise. Yeah, I'm really pleased that you are not sitting next to me. Yeah, that's fair enough. In the press box after that <laughs> I'll be, revelation, I'll be wearing an adult nappy. Oh man, five different types of goo emanating from I just, George but, by the time it reached 15 th- minutes. This is that's the atmosphere that I want it to be. I mean. I mentioned AC Milan when we were talking to Pete. Yeah. The, the, the kind of surprising thing, something actually that Sean talked about or Dan talked about was that sort of throb of atmosphere that there was at the San Siro, this kind of underlying hum and buzz and noise where you couldn't hear yourself think. And I absolutely had that in the away end. The, the away end before the game, first bit of the game was really, really loud. But all the way through, there was this noise that meant you couldn't hear the person sitting next to you. Yeah. And I've got it in my head that St. James's Park is going to be absolutely the most vibrant, noisy place that it possibly can be. I think it will. Yeah. And I think if it is, then the players will respond to it at its best. It's, I, you know, I just think, I mean, I mentioned the Spurs game. In that Spurs game, Tottenham came back and you know, won that won that match and in the end it wasn't much of a context because Newcastle was shit then. 
but they're not shit now. They're really good. And, um, yeah, yeah, I just want it to be, I just want sort of the people watching on to sort of understand about the atmosphere that there is at Newcastle at the moment because, yeah, I, I just think it's going to be immense. It's like, yes, the Premier League's the biggest league in the world, but the amount of new eyeballs which are going to be on Newcastle here from across Europe as a result of this game being at yeah, St James's Park, it's not just kind of a advert or a window into Newcastle United, the club, but also kind of Newcastle, the city, kind of showing the depth of passion, the football heritage, all of that totally. on display against Paris. That's a really exciting aspect. Of it's this, totally it? different. I mean, that's the thing. As I said before, it's like I feel quite jaded about the Champions League in terms of watching it over the past 20 years. But being there and being part of it, you, you suddenly remember how different it is, the styles, the, the you know, all the different sort of atmospheres and teams and blah, blah, blah. It's, yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. Bring it on. Bring it on. Well, I've got I've got tickets for myself and, and my eldest. We're going to go, him. but he doesn't know that he's going. Oh, amazing! So I'm going to pick him. I'm going to pick him up from school, and then I'm going to tell him we're just going to go and watch the match in the house and see, and just get him home, get him settled, and then say, right, get your coat on. We're going to the game. Brilliant! I can't wait to see his face. He's absolutely. I mean, he's he's gutted that we aren't able to go. That's what he thinks. Yeah. So he's going to he's going to his little head's going to explode when he realizes he's going. So yeah, are you going to be wait. recording this like you record penalties? No. Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> Phone wanker. That's enough of chippiness from you, Jacob Whitehead. <laughs> Sounds like time to piss off. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, I'll take a video the next time you make a cup of tea. How does that sound? <laughs> oh, God. Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> be like a deleted scene from MasterChef. It'll be great. <laughs> Absolutely. Right then, let's finish off, chaps. Thanks a lot for your time. Uh, get in touch. We're all on Twitter. We're easy to find. The show is at Pod on the Time, uh, or you can email us at Pod on the Time at theathletic.com. Thanks a lot, George. Yeah, you're very welcome. Can't wait. Can't wait for Thursday's show to go through Newcastle's 5 0 defeat to Paris Saint Germain. Now, in come front on. of a crowd of 20,000 because everybody else is locked outside. Come on now. That's enough of that. I don't think that's going to happen. Can't Definitely wait. not. And thank you for your time, Jacob Whitehead. Thank you very much. You just see there a window into how hard George is to deal with lurching from that optimism to pessimism. I'm a Newcastle fan. I'm a new, I don't know what to do. How on earth can you manage a personality like that? I don't know what to do. In the course of your normal I professional life. I can't. I, mean, I don't negotiate I, it. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know who to live. Who, how to live. I don't know who <laughs> I am. And I... I thought you said who to lick. I thought you said well, that as well. If Newcastle win on... No, I probably shouldn't say that. Don't finish that sentence. For the love of God, no. don't finish that sentence. Prayers to the people who are sitting next to him on Wednesday. And if you listen to this and have any anecdotes, please get in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right then, yeah. Newcastle United against Paris Saint-Germain on Wednesday night. We are through the looking glass, chaps, aren't we? I think it's fair to say. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, this has been Pod on the Tyne. Have a good week. Uh, and we shall speak to you on the other side of that massive game. Thanks a lot. Take care. Goodbye. And the, the right answer to this is it's actually routine win. Uh, and vocabulary. Actually, the right answer, chaps, is routine win. Vocabulary. Voc- I can't say vocabulary. Oh, vocabulary. Uh, yeah. Actually, chaps, the right answer is routine win, a phrase that wasn't required in these parts. After the game, and we wrote about this about Dansburn, Dan, but Dansburn, <laughs> Dansburn, yeah, about Dansburn. It sounds like a sort of minor river and sort of in uh, Germany, yeah, Western Germany, yeah, yeah. Dansburn.
spoke about his role. The Athletic.